Hear now the word of God. Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and continuing through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country, now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Now those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. In this text, which follows the violent storm from last week on the Sea of Galilee, we see that Jesus now meets a man with an equally violent storm inside of him. But by verse 15, we find him sitting down in the presence of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a difference, what a transformation. That is the difference that Jesus can make. There's no debate in these verses about who is in control, who it is that must be obeyed. Did you notice the word implore or beg throughout this text? The demons implore Jesus not to torment them and not to send them out of their territory or their region. The pig farmers implore Jesus to leave their country in verse 17. The demoniac who becomes a disciple then implores Jesus to let him be with him or to accompany him. Everything and everyone in this passage submits to Jesus because everything and everyone comes under the authority of Jesus. That's a warning for us, church, when we try to defy Him. But it is our confidence when we obey Him. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the lost around us and we follow Him into enemy territory. Jesus has come. He's come to us, church. He's redeemed us, church. And He's on mission even to the Gentiles, the Decapolis, the region of the Gerasenes. It's Gentile territory. 
He's come to rescue red and yellow, black and white, Muslim and Mormon, highfalutin and hillbilly, liberal and conservative, and even moderates who haven't made up their mind. He's come to invite them all into the kingdom of God. We know Jesus has entered Gentile territory because they are raising pigs. Also, verse 1 says that he goes to the region of the Gerasenes, which is likely the region around the city of Gergesa and the Decapolis, a group of ten predominantly Gentile cities. Jesus is getting into new territory. He's launching out into the places where the Gentiles live. So Mark continues to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to be a disciple so that we might have confidence in Him as we encounter spiritual opposition, as we pursue His mission in the world. If Jesus goes into uncharted territory, He is also sending His church into uncharted territory. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the Lord of creation. This week, we see He's the Lord over the demons. Which is good news. Because if Jesus is going to send us into mission where Satan has no desire for us to gain victory for the kingdom of God, we need to understand what we're going to face and we need to understand the power of the God that we serve. So to live on mission with Jesus, we find three more things about that today. We find that we must expect demonic opposition. We find that we must have confidence in Jesus who has the unique authority and the universal power to save. He is the Son of the Most High God. And thirdly, we must have a proper fear of Christ. First, we, we need to expect demonic opposition. I think sometimes the church gets caught asleep and forgets that we are in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. Yes, we've got the gospel and the power of Christ, but Satan has no desire for us to achieve victory. He's gone ahead of us and he's trying to terrorize lives and people and to bring them down. And we see in this text the desperate condition of those who are lost. As soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit meets him. You know, the demons don't wait to defend their territory. They run to meet you. The word met here is a special word for meeting. It means a hostile meeting. It doesn't mean when girlfriends go to coffee. The demons don't ignore Jesus because the presence of Jesus threatens their mission of destroying as many lives as possible before He gets there. You see, the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan is on every time that Jesus enters a new territory. And I, I think, church, we've failed to believe this. Every time that there's trouble in your marriage and you have the opportunity to speak the gospel to your marriage or to default to your selfishness, the battle is on. Every time that your child encounters something in school or among their friends that presents an opportunity for you to speak the truth of the gospel into their lives and you say, well, I don't want to be that parent, the battle is on. Every time you go into new territory with the gospel, the battle is on. Satan and his demons are at work. And they're doing whatever they can to defile and destroy human lives and keep them from encountering the saving power of God in Christ. The presence of demons defiles men because they are unclean. Notice it's an unclean spirit. They are opposed to the purifying presence of Christ. They lead people into practices and places that are unclean. In verse 2 and 3, where is the man? He's dwelling among the tombs, a place of ceremonial uncleanness according to the law in Leviticus 
7. And the demons don't just defile. They don't stop at just making you unclean and keeping you from knowing the favorable presence of God. They want to finish the job. They want to destroy you. You see, the demons first put you in places that are unclean. And then they lead you to the place where death seems preferable to life. In verse 5 we read, Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Achan writes this, Running about wild and naked and unkept, he was now a mere shell of cuts and bruises and lacerations and scabs and infected tissues. He again and again tried to end his unbearable existence in death by gashing himself with stones. That's what demons do, church. It's what Satan does. They expose people to things that are unclean. And it begins to warp their soul, and then they come in and they seek to destroy their lives. At the end of Matthew 12, the demons are described as finding their rest in the souls of men. And I know, some of you this morning are thinking, demons are so... 1500s. It's the stuff of legend. It's, it's that medieval stuff. It's a bunch of hooey. But Jesus didn't think so. And if Jesus didn't think so, and God's Word doesn't think so, then we all not, ought not think so. Aiken gives us a few, few observations about what the Scriptures show us about demons. Demons are real and dangerous. A demon or many demons can inhabit a person and take possession of them. Demons can make themselves known by speaking through people and even taking control of their bodies. Demons are fallen angels and powerful spiritual beings. They exhibit enormous strength through a person under their control. They can inflict serious personal injury to one possessed and to others with the ultimate goal of that person's death. Now, praise God, when the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms a life, you can't be possessed, but you can certainly still be afflicted. And... The fifth point I want to share with you is this. If demonic spirits attempted to resist the incarnate Christ, if Jesus in the flesh, if God in the flesh crosses the sea and the demons don't hesitate to run and meet Him in a hostile encounter, you can better believe it that they will try to oppose the church. And if Jesus can't convince you of that and God's Word can't convince you of that, then open your eyes and watch the news. What do you think is happening to the children in our country? Do you really think it's about gun control and safety measures? We give our children unfettered, unmonitored access to the utter darkness of this world 24-7 and then we wonder what is wrong with them? Have we forgotten what is at stake? And how much Satan wants the lives and the hearts of every new generation? Every time there's a new generation, the demons don't sit down and wait. They don't wait till they're 15 or 18 or 20 to give them the gospel or the anti-gospel. They do it as soon as they're born. And the church sits on their hands like, well, I don't want to take my kid to church because they don't want to go today. God, help us. We can talk about all sorts of ways to make our schools safer, but if we don't acknowledge that the barrage of tragedies that we hear about is fundamentally spiritual, that our kids are under attack, and we have been weak in helping our children understand the battle that they are in. We have not sacrificed enough to get as many kids as possible the gospel before it's too late. We have not seen the reality that they confront And dip deep into our wallets, into our pocketbooks, and done whatever we can do to get the gospel to young minds before it's too late. 
then we're the ones who've missed it. Consider the man crying out among the tombs, incapable of delivering himself. And see the end of the man who does not receive the saving power of Christ before it's too late. Church, we've got a prize getting Christ and the gospel and its implications to the front and center of the minds and hearts of our children infinitely more than we prize their acceptance in the world. Infinitely more than we want them to be a great baseball player, a great basketball player, or the who's who of their high school. Infinitely more than we want them to have a good job or be accepted in the world. We need our kids to get the gospel of Jesus Christ deep down into their lives and understand it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Church, it's a battle. It's a battle of everlasting significance. Jesus says, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. Peter says, Satan's roaming around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We cannot wage a successful spiritual battle against the forces of darkness in a new place or for a new generation in our own strength. Any chain that we use, Satan can tear it apart. Verse 4. Any shackle that we use, Satan can break it into pieces. Verse 4. In verse 3, no one was able to bind him, even with a chain. In verse 4, no one was, able, was strong enough to subdue him. For some, the reason Jesus brought you here today is to remind you of this. Spiritual battles must be waged in the Savior's power. It's time to stop pretending that you can do it on your own. And it's time to start surrendering to the Savior who can break the chains of darkness that are threatening to overtake your soul. Make no mistake about it, church. As we step out in faith to take Christ to new people and new territories, Satan will show up to try to stop the advance of Christ's kingdom. The desire... Y'all ready for this? The desire to limit or hinder or restrict the offer of Christ to the nations is satanic. Jesus is trying to get the gospel into Gentile territory. He's trying to get the gospel to new people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance to hear the gospel. And who is there opposing Him? It is Satan. So church, what does that mean for us? It means it is Satan and not the church who has no desire to see the gospel go to the peoples who have moved into the United States and into the Roanoke Valley, who come from places where they've never had the chance to hear the gospel before. God help us when we say, well, they should just go back. Look, that's a policy decision and that's politics, but we are the people of God. And if we don't want to offer them the gospel because they don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, drive like us, eat like us, then God help us. That's a satanic persuasion. That has infected the church. It's Satan who doesn't want the gospel to go to new people. It's not the people of God who don't want the gospel to go to new people. God help us. And He will help us. For when we get out of the boat and we cross the sea, Jesus is there and the Satans run to Jesus because they're terrified of Him. Look at the next point. We must have confidence in Jesus who has the unique authority and the universal power to save. 
You see, once we acknowledge the battle that we are in, once we recognize, yes, Satan is real, his demons are real, he really wants to destroy humanity, once we realize that, then we're ready to look to Christ as our only hope. Look at the quick and dramatic change in the demon-possessed man. In verse 5, he's screaming among the tombs, but by verse 7, he is screaming, it's the same word, with a loud or great voice. What do we have to do with one another, Jesus? The demon who could not be bound now begs Jesus not to torment him. You see, Jesus can dish it out like a Virginia Tech fan in November, but he can't take it like a Virginia Tech fan in March. That'll, that'll catch you later. It's daylight savings time. We're good in football. We're not good in basketball. Anyway, Satan can dish it, but he can't take it. The demon was determined. The demon that had been determined to take a life is now trying to preserve his territory. And he uses the lie that we must not believe. Did you, did you catch it? Did you see what he asked Jesus? What business do we have to do with each other? You see, the lie of Satan is that there are places... And there are people where Satan is operating in the world that are off limits to the saving power of Jesus. But the saving power of Jesus is omnipotent. It is great. It is more powerful than anything Satan can offer. And wherever we go in Jesus' name, the promise of God is that God is greater than what the demons can bring. Make no mistake about it. The Decapolis is dominated by demonic forces of darkness, hostile to the arrival of Jesus. But when Jesus shows up, look at verse 6, the demons must fall down. When Jesus commands unclean spirits to come out, verse 8, they must come out. The only thing demons can do is implore or beg Jesus for some kind of mercy. In verse 10, they beg not to be sent out of the region. And in verse 12, they beg to be sent into the herd of swine. The battle that seemed to be unwinnable just a minute ago is no contest for Jesus, even though He faces not just one spirit, but legion. A legion is 5,600 Roman soldiers, 5,600 satanic soldiers acting as one. Edwards writes this, the unclean spirit is expelled solely by the authoritative word of Jesus. His word is Deed. It seemed impossible, it seemed unwinnable, but Jesus speaks a word and out the demon must come. That's the kind of power that God has given to His church when we live holy and clean and on mission with Him. Jesus shows us that His word is action. I want you to get this, church. So often we are consumed by what we can do, and don't, don't get me wrong, we should do things. But we must not forget that it is the Word of Christ that does the most important thing. With His Word, Jesus overcomes the demonic and destructive forces of darkness. This is possible because of who Jesus is. The apostles have not yet understood who Jesus is. Do you remember what they asked after the, after the sea was calm last week? Who is this that the wind and the waves... Obey Him. And while the apostles still don't yet understand who Jesus is, Jesus is known by the demons. He is Jesus, Son of the, Son of the God Most High. As the Son, He has the unique authority that comes with being the only Son of the Father who will receive the praise of the nations. As Son of the Most High God, He is God the Son, having all the power of God. So Jesus has the unique authority 
And he has the universal power necessary to enter into demonic controlled territory and win with his word. Jesus asked the Spirit his name. Why does Jesus ask the Spirit his name? Does he know his name? Of course he knows his name. The reason he asks his name is because it's the way you have a standoff in the first century. Whose name is greater? So the demons come in and say, we know your name. And Jesus says, well, tell me your name. That's right. You tell me your name. You tell me who you are. Because you know who you are on the inside. You know what you're up to. And I'm going to expose you to the authority that you know that Jesus has. You know who I am and you know that I win, so you better get ready. You see, Jesus then grants the request of the demons to enter the pigs. Why? What in the world is that about? Why don't you just throw them out of the region? Well, he does it to prove his point. Satan is a destroyer. As Aiken writes, the demons, not Jesus, destroyed the pigs. The demons were trying to get the man to take his own life. What Legion could not get the man to do was easily accomplished in a large herd of pigs. Praise God for the resilience of the human. Praise God that there are people who are afflicted and even possessed around the world today that Satan is trying to destroy and he's not yet destroyed them because God wants the church to get there before it is too late. Can you see the nations among the tombs? Can you see them crying out, hoping for deliverance? Can you see the plight of the lost and the afflicted? And can you see what happens when the gospel of Jesus gets there? As Edwards writes, in Gentile territory, on the east side of the lake, the strength of God is demonstrated in His vanquishing of a legion of demons powerful enough to destroy an entire herd of swine. What the, what the demons desired for the man, God only allowed them to do to the pigs. Does God have any regard for the rest of His creation? Of course He does. However, get this, in the eyes of Jesus, the rescue and the restoration of one person is more important than vast capital assets. Compared to the redemption of one human soul, the loss of the swine herds, considerable though it is, does not rate mentioning 2,000 pigs and the economy that they represent are nothing compared to one human soul encountering the love of Christ. When Jesus casts out legion, the demoniac becomes a disciple. You remember chapter 3 where the apostles were? They were inside at the feet of Jesus. Now we find this demoniac seated in the presence of Jesus. He's clothed and in his right mind. The difference is so dramatic. The difference that Jesus makes with his word is so dramatic that Mark has to tell us in verse 15... It was the very man who had the legion. Do you see that? Why did he say that? Of course it was. That's how different he was. He was so different from the man who had been out there among the tombs screaming. Mark just wanted you to know, nobody did a little switcheroo here. It's the same man. That's the difference that God made in his life. Jesus can calm the storm on the sea, and he can calm the storm in the souls of those who are far from God. That's the difference he makes. In a moment, He can take the uncleanness of our lives and transfer us into the cleansing wholeness of God. 
And that kind of power, church, brings fear. That kind of power brings fear. Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 16? Excuse me, verse 15. And they became frightened. But the question is, what kind of fear did they have? Did they have the proper fear of Christ? It's not enough to fear Christ. We must fear Him properly. I confess to you this morning, this story makes good sense to me. Until we come to the pigs. I mean, Jesus could have just thrown the demons out of the region, sent them away, stayed for a while with the Gentiles, but He is always teaching us that deliverance comes with a cost. A cost that ultimately Christ will pay for at the cross and then invite us to share in as we take the message of the cross to the watching world. You see, it's the pig farmers who spread the news in the city and in the country, verse 14. Pig farmers are evangelists here. Spreading the news. But I'm not so sure they saw it as good news. They had, after all, lost 2,000 pigs. And when they return with the others and find the formerly demon-possessed man that he's been delivered, then they are fearful, verse 15. And fearing Christ is good. But we must fear properly. We need to have the sort of fear that leads us to see how desperately we need Jesus and how infinitely worthy He is of our obedience. So look at verse 16. What happens? They see the demon-possessed man has been delivered by the power of Christ. And what do they do? They talk about Him, but that's not it. Do you see that? They also talk about all about the swine. What do they talk about? They talk about the cost of the presence of Jesus for their community. They had a budget and property committee meeting right there. Well, it's going to take some resources to advance the gospel. I'm not sure we can do it. You see, so many people fear what Jesus will ask them to give up more than they fear not having what only Jesus can give. So many people fear what Jesus will ask them to give up more than they fear not having what only Jesus can give. That's what keeps so many people back from entering the kingdom of God. But having the presence of Jesus among us and in us and bringing His presence to others always requires a sacrifice. Even if the sacrifice is not cows in the temple but swine in the Sea of Galilee. Until Jesus came, the people had it pretty good there on the other side of the sea. You might say they were living their best life now. They have a good location by the sea and there's plenty of bacon for all. Sure, life might have been interrupted by the terrifying screams of a demoniac being tortured by legion, but as everyone knows, where there's bacon, there's happiness. And the ability to look the other way at the plight of people who are perishing. But suddenly, Jesus showed up. And a man was miraculously delivered. And the price was an awful lot of bacon. Do we let our bacon get in the way of what God wants to do in the lives of people all around the world? 
What Jesus has done is amazing. Even miraculous. But you see, having Jesus truly around is going to cost our way of life. And if it's going to cost our way of life, then these pig farmers conclude, and the townsfolk conclude, then he's got to go. What do they ask Jesus? Jesus, could you leave? This is amazing. The demons begged Jesus at the beginning of the story, please let us stay. And now the people begged Jesus, please get out of town. They're content to live with demonic oppression rather than let more people encounter the saving love of Christ. And that raises a question for the church. What level of lostness will we accept around us and in the world because eradicating it will cost us something? A change in our worship, a change in our programming, giving and serving so we can make more effective and strategic use of our facilities, enduring humiliation for parenting your children in the gospel or speaking the gospel in the marketplace. Is Jesus worth the cost? Or do we also want to ask Him to leave? Because when we put our bacon before the Son who breaks the bonds of darkness, that's exactly what the church is saying. Jesus, you can just go on and leave. But here's some good news. When Jesus enters new territory, there are some who are going to want to join Him no matter what it costs. There is a proper fear of Jesus and it is exhibited by the man who has been delivered from the demon. What does he want to do? He just wants to be with Jesus, verse 18. It's the same language that we saw back in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. The apostles are summoned up the mountain for two reasons. To be with Jesus and to be sent by Him. And this man wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Why don't you stay here? He says no, probably because having a Gentile physically present with him at all times as an apostle would have been a stumbling block to his mission to Israel, and it would have compromised his mission of getting to the cross. But though the man is not physically present with Jesus, where the gospel is, there is Jesus. Jesus is present in the message of the gospel. And so though Jesus physically leaves, he leaves a witness there in the region. While the demoniac cannot be an apostle, he can be a disciple bearing witness to what Jesus has done for him. So Jesus commissions him as an evangelist to his own people. And do you see what's happening in the Gospel of Mark? Jesus is spending all this time with Jews. But look what happens. In Mark's Gospel, it's a healed Gentile demoniac that becomes the first missionary preacher sent out by Jesus. The first one sent out by Jesus isn't the apostles because he's still training them. But the demoniac that's been delivered is left as an emissary of the gospel to Gentiles. And guess what he does? He obeys Jesus. He becomes a preacher, a Caruso, a herald of the gospel in Gentile heavy territory. Preparing the soil of hearts For the day when Jesus would come and He would give the ultimate sacrifice for our deliverance. He would conquer hell and death and the grave. And on the third day He would rise from the grave which we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. And there would be people who were even Gentiles ready to receive the message. Because a healed demoniac had a proper fear of Jesus. And he went and he shared the gospel wherever he could go. And church, that's what God is doing for us as well. He is reminding us of the costliness of His mission. And he's asking us this question. Do you believe that though our kingdom will clash with the kingdom of Satan, that God will win and that no matter what it costs us, it is worth it and he is worthy of our going? Some here this morning, there's a clash of the kingdoms at work, not out there, but right here. 
And the question is, am I really all in for Jesus? Do I really belong to Jesus? Do I want to see this King get the victory in my life and in my family and in this world no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes? And this morning as we come to a time of invitation, now is the time for choosing. The stark realities of the choice that we have crying out among the tombs in utter darkness and terror, or being delivered and being an evangelist, no matter what it costs, those are our choices. There is no middle, there is no in-between. Are you in? Are you on mission for our King? Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God and our King, we thank You that there is no power in hell that can destroy you, or defeat you, or overcome who you are and what you've accomplished at the cross. And Lord, in a room this size, there's surely at least one who needs to come to a saving faith in you. Who needs to give up on their power to overcome the forces of darkness and needs to be delivered by the King, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Lord, I pray you'd be exalted in this place as we respond however you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.